Okay, uh, welcome to the second meeting of 2018 on February 8th, the Science Fiction Club, and we have a pretty good turnout right now, so we are talking about books that we've read recently or long ago or any time in between that we liked or didn't like, and what we usually do is people will mention some books and then Oftentimes what happens is we'll talk about that book or related books or even NLS narrators or stuff like that that narrated similar books or the other books in a series or whatever. And the discussion goes on and we enjoy it for those who haven't been here before. I noticed there are a couple. So welcome. And whoever wants to start with their book that they wanted to talk about can start right now. Well, let me go first, because I don't know how long this will keep working this time. But why I wanted to tell you about the Frankenstein Papers by Fred Saberhagen, it seems to be kind of an obscure book for such a well-known writer, but it, if you would well, remember Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. This book supposedly takes up right where that one leaves off with the creature um, stuck somewhere in the Arctic. And it continues telling the rest of the story from the creature's point of view. Um, in this book, Fred Saberhagen makes it clear that the way Frankenstein was supposed to have created the creature would not have worked. At his time, in the 18th century, he would have had no way to know that it would not have worked, but we know it would not have worked. So the mystery is, what is this creature? Where did it come from? And why is it he Frankenstein thinks that he brought a corpse made of pieces of corpses stuck together. Why did he think he brought it to life? <clears throat> um, as time goes on, the creature starts doubting that he is an actually reanimated corpse himself. And at another point in the book, Victor Frankenstein tries to reanimate <clears throat> another freshly dead person, and it doesn't work at all. Then toward the end, there's an explanation of where the Frankenstein monster came from. How do I put this without giving you a spoiler? Well, let's say that the explanation for the monster, for the creature, is very science fictional, and it does involve space aliens who are hiding themselves on Earth in the late 18th century among humans, and, well, that's what it involves, and I won't tell you exactly what really happened to make to Frankenstein think he'd reanimated a corpse and to make the, the creature itself think that it was a reanimated corpse because that would be a spoiler. 
and this book is available on Bookshare because I put it there. I don't think it's available on Bard or anywhere else that's accessible for that matter. So if you want to find out how this creature came into being without actually being a reanimated corpse, go read the book. Okay, I guess I'll go next. Uh, you came across very well, Roger. No problems with software tonight, apparently. Um, I'm going to re read a book which I believe was reviewed by someone on this list a while back. Uh, I may be wrong. It's called A Long Way to a Very Angry Planet by Be Becky Chambers. Uh, it's a very, very human type, very interesting book. It's, it deals with a a ship, spacers, whose mission is to drill tunnels to make wormholes in different to connect different areas of the galaxy. And uh, there's this woman by the name of Rosemary, whose last name I forgot, as well as a lot of the other members of the of the, of the crew. But anyway, uh, she's escaping from from Mars, where she grew up on Mars, and she has something to hide. So she gets a job as a, a um, clerk on this ship. And when she wakes up, she meets the crew. And the crew is composed of some very interesting persons. There's the captain, uh, Ashley, uh, who's a very sensitive, and, and, and they say in the introduction, uh, sort of a pacifistic type person. There's another guy here who's a real grouch, who's, I forget his name, who handles the algae fuel section of the ship. And there's a couple of very interesting tech humans, one of which is an is a engineered, genetically engineered small person, very midget, who works closely with this um, tech woman who reminds me very much of the way she talks of, of, our, of our fellow member here, Layla or Leela, I always forget her name. I should m mention here that the reader does a very good job of interpreting the different characters. There's also three different aliens who form part of the crew. One alien is, is a reptilian type person who's very a very warm, caring, sensitive person who likes to caress and be caressed. There's the cook and doctor who's a very strange alien. And there's the navigator, who is a very interesting composite two-person creature who is able to do all these strange things because he's infected by a virus called the Whisperer, which allows him to, be, to navigate and be able to know what's going on in different spatial areas. Uh, the reason of the title is they, they get a job to go to the core of the galaxy. There's this uh, hostile alien race, whose name I forget now, who doesn't actually form part of the galaxy. They're very hostile. They fight among themselves, killing each the clans or warring with each other. But they got someone in the um, in the alliance, in the um, federation, if you want to call it that, uh, decides that they can make a deal with them because they have, in a, there's a light, there's a dark hole in the center of the galaxy that produces a type of energy or fuel that they that they use to that the galaxy uses to fuel their ships, and they think it's advantageous for them to make a an alliance. And so um, our ship gets the um, 
the job of going there and drilling a, a wormhole in order to um, connect these alien, these hostile aliens with the rest of the of the galaxy. Unfortunately, within their group, there's one that fires on the ship, and they go through a lot of problems, and they finally end up, they realize that it's not a good idea to do it, to have this alliance with these hostile people. Uh, but the interesting thing is in the, there are several human interest stories that go on in the, in, during the, the course of the novel, one of which is the, the midget human has a close relationship with an AI on the ship by the name of Lovelace, who they call Lovey, and he develops a romantic relation with her. And at one point, he wants to put her into a, a, an actual body. Um, and afterwards, they decided it's not a good idea to do that. Another interesting relationship is with, with uh, Rosemary and the... Uh, one of the aliens, the reptilian, uh, they find that they're able to develop a, a, a romantic or sexual relationship between the two of them. So, uh, and, and each one has their background stories, and, and uh, it's very interesting. The, the book I found to be quite enjoyable. There were parts that were a little slow, perhaps they spent too much time maybe in, in analyzing the characters, but generally I found it to be very interesting and had a lot of good science fiction elements in it, so I would, I would strongly recommend it. So I assume you're going to read the sequel, uh, whose title um, escapes me at the moment, but it's similar to, well, it's got several words, so it's, it's similar to that, the first one, and that's actually the one where the AI does get into the body. Uh, apparently they changed their minds, or somebody did it against the advice of those who thought it was a bad idea, but that's what the sequel is about. Listen. Well, I did download it, and I think I'll do that for the next month's meeting. Now you're the third person that I'm sure I can recall that's reviewed this book for the club. Um, and Mary's going to be very disappointed that she missed because she was one of the other two that reviewed it for the club a few months ago or before we started this format. I can't remember which, but she definitely um, talked about it. And I can't remember who the other person was, but it was definitely, the, you're definitely the third one. So this is the most reviewed book, at least one of the most, that we've had in the club's history. Independently reviewed, I mean. So, that's something. Well, um, I would like to reiterate my review of... Um, Artemis by Andy Weir. Now, this is quite the book. I don't know if any of you read The Martian by Weir, which was his first book, and talked about the guy who was stuck on Mars for over a year and how he survived and how he... Um, you know, grew his own food and all this and survived practically being, um, you know, uh, you know, having his place destroyed by uh, a vacuum and, and uh, um, so forth. But I want to um, 
talk about the second book in his list of books, which is Artemis by Andy Weir. And this book takes place on the first city on the moon. And I have to say that the reason I like this book so well, and by the way, it is on Bard, um, and I don't know if it's on Bookshare. I didn't look. But um, it is on Bard. And the reason I liked this book was because of the character, the main character. Now, uh, Jazz, uh, and I forget her last name, but anyway, uh, Jazz, short for Jasmine, uh, is what in in D and D terms we would classify as a neutral good thief. She is a smuggler, and she, uh, in the beginning of the book, you learn that she um, smuggles contraband onto the moon for a price, of course, and that she is making quite a bit of money. Well, she gets herself involved with some pretty shady characters, and she discovers that what is really going on is this plot against the city government and so forth and so on, and um, she grows into the fact that she really does care about her family and her city and her, her, um, and the moon as a uh, colony itself, and it's her story of how she manages to do this and the challenges that she faces in in uh, protecting her chosen uh, society. And um, as I say, I really, really like her as a, as a character because she isn't perfect. And she isn't, you know, she isn't evil uh, either. You know, she's... She's neutral good, I guess would be the best uh, best thing I could uh, classify her as. And those of you who do not play or have not played D&D &D will have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Um, and the other reason I like this book was because of the hard science. They talk about the vacuum on the moon. They talk about its effect on things like welding and that kind of stuff, which was fascinating to me. Um, they talk about uh, the various precautions that a domed city on the moon would have to take, how it would be built, and, and um, you know what kind of materials would be used, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I really liked it, and I'm highly recommending it. So, if you, if you want a really good read, it's not very long. I think it's like eight hours or something. Um, but it's really quite good. So, that's my book. Well, I decided to read, and I don't know why I did, 
The Visitors by Clifford D. Simic or Simac. Uh, it is on Bard. I don't know the DB number, and I don't know if it's on Bookshare. And I have to regard this as one of the highest or best alien contact books I've read. Uh, it starts out <clears throat> in a small Minnesota town. Uh, this big black box, and I don't remember how big, but it's, you know, building size, lands on the bridge, you know, a couple of people run away from it, a barber, for reasons I don't understand, runs toward it with his rifle, shoots at it, and gets zapped, and a graduate student in forestry who was fishing in a small pond next to where it landed, was snatched inside and sees a weird stuff and then gets thrown out into a tree. Then the visitor moves into the forest and starts cutting down and eating trees and putting out... Um, not bags, packages of cellulose and keeps moving and moving. Later on it buds and releases a bunch of little visitors who proceed to eat the uh, cellulose. Then it, that visitor leaves, but it will be back later. And then a bunch of them land and start observing us. They don't hurt anybody. And the only thing they, well, they damage some, they pick, eat some cars. And I'm using the term eat for lack of a better term. Um, part of a housing development in Virginia and lumber yards. Uh, and this goes on and on for a while. And then they all fly up and go away. Except they haven't. They've gone into remote areas. And the guy who was picked up makes contact with the first one. Who it turns has been planting pine trees. And it tells him to go to this island in the Mississippi. And when he and his reporter girlfriend get there, there are three visitors and they're making cars, flying cars for people. Of course, these flying cars are actually visitors in a different state. Or when I say state, I'm using it in the, the sense of a form. So they're actually visitors and then we go to another place and they're making other things. The other side of the story is, first of all, there's a, a, a newspaper in one of the big cities in Minnesota, maybe Minneapolis. They talk about the reports that the newspaper files and then they, the third part of the story is how the 
federal government, i.e. the president and his advisors react and their decision-making process and all of this stuff. <clears throat> and they just don't know quite what to do about it. Of course, the crisis comes when the visitors start producing cars because if people get free cars, then the automotive industry, all of it, you know, from manufacturing to repair to providing gas, all goes away. And they start dealing with that, that crisis. And I don't want to go into it anymore, but it was the interesting thing was is the visitors never talked to any humans except the one guy and we never talked to them uh, there were only two bullets fired at the visitors uh, and they found out we found out how they did the disintegration using uh, a conversion of kinetic energy to potential energy and back again and I just enjoyed it because it was so nice not to have aliens talking to humans not killing humans not doing anything that was particularly explicable uh, the book doesn't really have an ending uh, it's kind of like uh, the end of the original oh I can't remember the title of the book um, or the title of the movie um, but it had Michael Rennie and Patricia Neal in it and Gort the robot I'm sure that's enough for any science fiction fan to recognize it and it in that movie just as the ship takes off it goes away and then it comes zapping back at you and there's this big question mark I think and this book ends that way I really enjoyed it it might have been a little shorter uh, I did connect with the characters um, particularly the president's press secretary and I generally, I've thoroughly enjoyed the book. I may try and read more of Simak's stuff since the other thing I remember reading by him was City. Oh, okay. Joshua, hello. Hello, sorry about that, guys. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I would like to recommend um, a series and... Uh, it's taken me longer to read the series than I thought, but it's really good. The series is not available on um, Bar, so I, I really, really wish it were. It's only available on Bookshare. I'm talking about the Deathstalker series by Simon R. Green. I'm a really big fan of his. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read any of his um, of uh, his fantasy or his other novels, but or series. But Simon R. Green, he, he's very good. And uh, the Deathstalker series, in some ways, it reminded me of Star Wars a little bit, because you, just just because of the fact you had you had the corrupt you had the corrupt evil empire, and and the and then and then the 
and the rebellion fighting against the empire. And um, there's eight books in the series, um, and I'm on book six um, at, at the moment. But uh, anyway, uh, anyway, uh, Deathstalker, the first book, um, you have in in the uh, in the empire of this uh, of this world, you 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 have the Empress Lionstone the Fourteenth. And you have the aristocrats who are kind of noble families who kind of, uh, along with the empress, kind of control the, uh, the the poor people of the of the of the empire. And the empire composes hundreds and thousands of worlds and aliens um, and humans. And there's different people who who uh, who are not considered humans because there's the clones who are the servants, even they are cloned humans. They're considered property human can do anything they want to the clones they're the essers kind of like esp who who were uh, people were genetically uh, engineers the empire would use them security and and uh, and because during the first book owen deathstalker he he, he he's he's an aristocrat he's kind of a minor an aristocrat he's not a very high rank he doesn't have too much power and authority but he does have a, a very uh, old name um, Owen Deathstalker, he is outlawed, uh, and he does not realize why, so he uh, is on the run. And uh, he's fleeing uh, um, his, his planet of Viramond, and this lady named Hazel Dark basically uh, rescues him. She, um, and uh, the, two, the two of them, along with their friends uh, Jack Random and Ruby Journey, uh, be, begin to, begin to be uh, the, the core of the rebellion, who um, eventually they want to uh, try to overthrow the empire. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of action in these books. There's um, there's a bit about political intrigue. Which one in- interesting thing about um, Simon R. Green versus somebody, for ex- for example, like like uh, Frank Herbert. Uh, the, the political stuff in these and bo- Simon R. Green's books, I can actually understand what the heck they're trying to talk about. Some someone someone like Frank Herbert in the Dune books, for example, I don't have a clue what the heck is going on, where politics are concerned in those books. But um, I, highly, I highly recommend the the Deathstalker series because, for, in my mind, I can't stand it when you read fantasy series or science fiction series where there's this war. And you have war, and you kind of know who the victor is, but it just ends. It just stops. I really like rebellion, rebellion, and war. I really like that after the war, the the rebels the rebels do overthrow the empress, uh, eventually. And I really like that that book books four that books uh, four and five honor and destiny. Um, they actually kind of tell they kind of tell what happens after. The, when when the, when the rebellion has uh, been victorious and they and they create a new empire, what happens after that? Is the emperor empress is uh, is gone, and and then a neat, a neat thing is about the other three, the last three books in the series, which I'm reading, book six now called uh, yeah, uh, book six now called Deathstalker Legacy, is is that um, Legacy jumps ahead 200 years after after Owen. Oh, and and Hazel and uh, Jack and uh, Jack and Ruby after 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 they all after they all die and uh, at the end of at the end of the uh, fifth fifth book Destiny they give this warning about this 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 alien creature creature known as the Terror that that the, at the Empire is going to, the new Empire is going to have to be on the lookout for but 
for 200 years, nothing has shown up, and they're all kind of like, eh, that doesn't exist, it's not real, but then, but then when it does show up, what are they going to do about it? And um, it's hard to explain hard to explain anymore because it's very very detailed I highly recommend the books they're available through graphic audio uh, if anyone has ever read graphic audio books I cannot highly recommend them enough they're a company www.graphicaudio.net out of Bethesda Maryland they um, they they produce they produce unabridged audio books at least as unabridged as they can make them and they, and they're dramatized they have actors they have sound effects they have music. They have narration. Their um, the voice. Their um, their slogan is a movie in your mind, and it's really graphic audio. In my mind, is like listening to a described movie, if not better, because they they really do a good job. And um, I highly recommend anything they do, but especially the Deathstalker series by Simon R. Green, which is available on Bookshare. I downloaded all eight books recently, so if anybody wants to check out the books. Uh, you can definitely do so on Bookshare or or on uh, Graphic Audio. Question, the Graphic Audio, uh, I assume one has to purchase the books? Yes, yes you, yes you do. And, um, and, and they're about, I think they're, they're about, I think, 15 to $18 a book now. I think they've gone up a little bit uh, in, in price. But they really, they really are worth it for, for, um, for all they do. They're, they do a really, really nice job. Of what they do now if one were to start the series and, and, and let's say one didn't want to go read all the books would you recommend starting with the first book and with the first book itself you know give you a good read without continuing to the rest of them um this this series this series is a series that you're that you're going to have to read you're going to have to read um the whole series to get the whole entire picture um unfortunately the first three books um Graphic Audio does not does not have them. They do not have Deathstalker um, Honor, or, or, or they do not have uh, Deathstalker Rebellion or War. They uh, they used to, but but they but but they, but they don't anymore. Um, they were made before Graphic Audio became the Graphic Audio company it was today. They were they were a smaller company, but they're they're no longer available through their website. Uh, but um, you would have to st if you started the series. You would have to start off with 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 book four, which is uh, Deathstalker Honor, which kind of uh, picks up after the rebellion has taken place and 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 the rebellion has won and the new empire has been created. But uh, they do they do kind of give you a pretty good summary at the beginning of the fourth book what happened in the first three, but um, that's that's about the books. I like graphic audio myself. I have several titles um, of Elizabeth Moon's stuff. And I have some other stuff. What is it? I can't even remember. But anyway, and um, I love the way they do their their uh, uh, promotions because they have this guy that's one of their announcers. And his voice is very much like Rogers. It's very low and it's very, you know, sort of mysterious and he says graphic audio a movie in your mind do i really have a mysterious voice well you could i mean you could make it more mysterious if you wanted to but it's it's that sort of timbre um you know it it uh, you know it's a bass voice and it's it it's uh 
you know, and it sounds very mysterious because of the way the guy says, graphic audio, a movie in your mind. And, you know, it just, it just, it sort of, you know, it gives you sort of this, this frisson, uh, you know, a shiver. Um, you know, it's, it's very cool. Roger has a good radio voice, that's for sure. I mean, if he ever wanted to go out into, into radio, he would, you know, it would, it would, it's a very resonant, deep voice. Uh, voiceover voices are often like that. So, definitely, I can see it. I can hear it, I should say, more accurately. Sweetie? Um, I'm going to talk about Hollow World, but I'm not really prepared <laughs> I proofread it for Bookshare, so that's the only place I know where it's available. I loved it. Who's by? I don't have any idea. Oh, shoot. <clears throat> I'll look it up. Um, it's social science fiction, which is the science fiction I like the most. And I also tend to like books that are uplifting, and and I thought that it was. It, it's about a, a kind of ordinary, a more or less ordinary guy whose marriage has kind of gone stale and he has a terminal a medical condition and the author comes clean at the very beginning by telling us he pretty much knows almost nothing about science and so he doesn't have to explain how this man developed a time machine with nuts and bolts in his garage. So it's pretty, you know, un unbelievable. But you just if you suspend your disbelief and just go with it, he has been considering, you know, going into the future where he hopes a cure will be available for him. And meanwhile, he talks to his best friend, you know, and kind of hints around about his time machine and things. And then he goes home and when he's trying to make his final decision, he discovers that his best friend and his wife have been unfaithful for a long time. And that kind of pushes him over the edge. He also had a tragic incident with his son um, committing suicide. And that, you know, that's probably what poisoned the marriage, but also, you know, it's kind of poisoned his life in the present. So he has lots of reasons now to want to make a new start. So he thinks that he's going to go not too far into the future, but in fact he goes way, way, way into the future, and at that time, the um, the majority of the people, the vast majority of the people live underground, but the way things are engineered, um, by, by the way, these people are very long-lived, and so they have lots of time to develop their ideas and to... Um, invent things and reinvent and they're at the point now where they're mostly um, maintaining and entertaining themselves by being 
delving deeply into the arts and delving deeply into making the panoramas that they see beautiful and they have they have ritualistic kind of holidays where they have very stylized um, activities um, you get up in the morning and the you know the artist class have orchestrated these fabulous sunrises and and all of it is artificial because they're really underground. Um, they think that living on the surface where not everything is controllable is ridiculous when you can live underground and you can have perfect weather and cleanliness and order and that kind of thing. Um, when the man arrives, he's near a university and there's a dead body there and um, there's a crowd gathering around it and they, they're also looking at him and wondering it turns out that murder is very rare almost un actually unheard of in their culture everybody's chipped remember <laughs> sweetie yeah that's important you told me about that that's kind of important that's that's true and and see that's scientific so i don't think about the chips no everybody's I, got a chip in them so they know where everybody is all the time yep and the there is a one of the one of the people approaches him and isn't they're all kind of afraid of him but this is the the person who approaches him is very kind and very accepting and takes him home and introduces him to the culture and the food and they everybody has AIs doing the cooking and the AIs I guess the AI in this particular household is very matronly and motherly and um, kind of looks out for the residents and the character who has more or less rescued him it lives with an artist who is very arrogant and um, you wonder why they live together because they aren't suitable companions and so I, I don't want to spoil it to tell you why they live together but um, you will discover that and some of the developments that happen are that when when this character goes to the surface which he does you know he discovers that his friend has followed him into the future and his friend um the one who was cheating on his with his wife. right the one has does not is doesn't have integrity he loves power he finds that you know the the natives are so curious about these two men from the past that they and he, um his friend discovers that they're very biddable and very suggestible and they're they're so intrigued by um, the contrast of these people in the past that they they're like fans and they they just love being around them and seeing what they do and how they act and um, this man turns that to his advantage and he he wants to corrupt he wants to take over more or less and it's very sad to watch him um, kind of enslave the residents um, and of course his friend is very conflicted because 
he really likes the society and he wants to stop his friend from his evil deeds. And <laughs> um, you do discover that there are some corrupt, there's co some corruption and there's a center where people are more or less controlled. And it's not till near the end that there's a lot of excitement um, when um, the man from the past, the original, you know, the, the original every man um, escapes from the city and and his original friend makes a lot of sacrifices to try to to rescue him and um, keep him safe and um, you know it's very creative the way they evade captive capture and I absolutely love the book. What's the name of the book again? Hollow World, but I got to look up the author. But it, she proofread it. I scanned it. Uh, on Bookshare, uh, and the the uh, the guy give it does. There's a there's a an afterward or a preface. I can't remember. And he talks about you know writing his writing career and publishing electronically, and and uh, he gives some insights into self publishing and versus going through a company and stuff like that. Because I think this book was self published or some of his other work was. He's written some other fantasies and so on. I think um, it began as self-published and I and it still may be. And but somebody picked it up because it was doing pretty well. Right, it's really it become a, very popular. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well I'm going to talk about Darkness Falling Andromeda and Dark Book 2 by Ian Douglas. I was going to wait for Bard to do it because I enjoyed Joe Wilson's reading of the first book Altered Starscape, Andromeda and Dark Book 1, but a few weeks ago I looked on Bard and I didn't even see it in process. I went up to the Voyager site because the, Bard, the main Bard site doesn't give you in-process information, at least not that I've been able to find, and it, wouldn't even sh it didn't even show up as being in process, even though it came out in November. So I decided I didn't want to wait, because I don't know how much longer I was going to have to wait. So I got Bookshare's version, and I'm nearly done with it. I'm enjoying it very much, though not as much as the first book. It suffers from some of the things that second books in series suffer from, which is you've already been introduced to the world. Um, there aren't really a lot of new wonders to see. There are a few, though, um, but the main story is set. Um, but um, in the second book, I'm enjoying it, but as I said, not quite as much. There's a little more military action. This guy is a has a history of writing military SF, and there wasn't, but there wasn't that much in the first book. This one has a bit more, but um, there's some other stuff that's interesting about it. Um, they've been cast um, uh, for those who haven't read the first book. Um, they are in the 22nd century. It starts out in the 20 beginning of the 20 um, second century. And um, they go to the center of the galaxy and they get too close to the central black hole and get thrown four billion years into the future. And they discover some really advanced civilizations and there's a malign force that 
is attacking civilizations. It's very advanced. It seems to be able to attack from higher dimensions, though, like, you know, from the hidden dimensions of string theory or something like that. So you can't always tell, you know, I mean, it just seems to materialize out of nowhere sometimes. But considering the technological level of humans and the enemy, um, so there's a question why the there are some advanced civilizations in, in our galaxy and the Andromedan galaxy is much closer 4 billion years in the future it is moving in this direction um, and 4 billion years in the future it's very close and the question is why do these you know there are advanced civilizations in, in the Milky Way why are they not fighting well they want the humans to do the fighting because most of them have gone into virtual reality and the ones that are left are live vastly longer than humans do and they view the humans as their lives are of less value because you know they're very short-lived and they're more primitive and so they feel the humans should try to slow down the advance of this malevolent force uh, they are certainly willing to help but they want the humans to do most of it. So um, I haven't quite finished it yet. I was hoping to finish it by today, but I haven't got to it because I've been reading some other nonfiction stuff, which is mostly what I read nowadays. But um, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Um, there are some other aspects to the book. There's a quite a bit, uh, um, well, not, a, uh, it, not most of the book, but there's a fair bit uh, taken up with... Um, the state of robot and AIs that are conscious and he emancipated them in the first at the end of the first book and um, so his original robot concubine has been doing some exploring of her you know nature so to speak because now she's free she's not bound to him technically anymore and there's some uh, because on Earth they were there was this treaty where they were regarded as servants. So they had no rights and they were considered property because they you know the fears they might turn on humanity and all that stuff. So there's some talk, there's some thoughtful uh, discussions about that sort of thing. And there's some there they found Earth by the way, or they think they have. They've gone to the coordinates where the sun is and looks like our solar system somewhat, but the Earth is unrecognizable. It looks to have been moved, but it's a desert now, and the continents are so changed that they can't even really be sure that it is Earth, or just a similar planet with a similar diameter. But anyway, that will presumably be resolved. There's a, there's a giant ring around it with all these advanced civilizations living in it, and you get to see all these aliens and all kinds of advanced technology, and it's cool, really cool. So... The writing's not great. It's not great literature by any stretch, but, you know, I'm really enjoying it. So if you like them, you know, if you like, um, you know, far future kind of stuff with not a whole lot of military actions, I said there's more in the second book, which is not quite as great, but still, uh, you might want to give them a try. Well, um, I hate to leave early, but uh, it's 10 minutes to 10. And I've got an appointment at 9 tomorrow, so I think I better cash in my chips, as they say. But this has been fun, as always, and um, 
So, um, so long, folks. It's been good to know you. Good night, Anne. Um, if you're not gone already, um, I wanted to suggest, uh, bring up a, a suggest, make a suggestion, and you can tell me what you think. But Anne has self-published a book that is on Bookshare now, which I proofread and Evan scanned, called the Demi's, and. Whether it's your, you know, your cup of tea, you know, we all have our, our special brew of what, what we like in science fiction, but I think it's kind of a special thing to have a member of the group publish a science fiction book, and I think it would be kind and interesting for us to maybe agree to read Anne's book, or at least part of it, um, her her book is about people who are, are very are engineered, uh, genetically engineered to be very small, and it raises the question, uh, kind of, where do those people fit in our society? And Anne is, you know, we're always, there's always an underdog, you know, um, accepting immigrants, accepting gay people, accepting handicapped people. So this book is how how do we accept or incorporate and give equal status to small people that, you know, I think they were engineered so they, they'd be great spies and I don't know, they don't, they don't use as many resources, but she also raises the question, where would they live and how would, how would they be funded? You know, how, how are they going to make a living and, um, have enough cash flow to have an environment that's safe. Um, and she also talks about when there are grants and scientists are in charge, some scientists are going to do the right things. And what if the scientist has, you know, un unsavory character uh -huh. characteristics that cause him to abuse the the subjects of the experiments. So um, it's, you know, it's an easy read and it's a fast, it's, well, it's pretty long, but um, it's quite remarkable that Anne stuck to it and produced, you know, such a prodigious project. It's not an easy thing to write a novel. And so I just thought it would be great if we could all discuss her book next month. You know, th th thanks for letting me know that that book is available on, on, on Bookshare. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely download it because um, I, I, want, I wanted to check it out. I heard about it, I forget how, not too long ago, and I, but I, I couldn't remember the title, and I'm glad to know that it, uh, that it is on Bookshare. So then, yeah, I will definitely, I'll definitely download that to my, uh, to my uh, Victor stream. So thanks for uh, letting, letting, letting me know that uh, the Demi's is available, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, Lizzie, would you suggest, suggest that we read it as a group? Because I, I have downloaded it, too. I haven't actually passed it to my players yet, but I do have it. I would love it if enough of you wouldn't mind, you know, if there was a consensus to make an exception for, for this book. And also, welcome, Joshua. That was a great review, and I hope you come back. Yeah, well, Lizzie, thanks for letting me know. Thanks. 
glad you enjoyed my review because yeah 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 because yeah, because yeah, because yeah, I, I meant I meant to originally come last month but I but I uh, but I overslept or I forget something happened and I wasn't able to I meant to make it but I think I think I missed the night or something happened and I wasn't able to make it like I wanted to so so I'm definitely glad that I was able to make it uh, this month and I will definitely I mean although I do not read a lot of science fiction I have. I have more. I have you know quite a. I have quite a bit of it, but um, yeah, I definitely do my best to see if I could to see if I can uh, come here. I, I like these clubs. Be, be, I like these groups because because you know you don't usually have to read a book and discuss it because I, I've got so many books that I uh, that I intend to read. I've got this. I've got a huge, huge, huge Bard collection. I have over twelve thousand uh, Bard books downloaded on an external hard drive. So I'm not going to be running out of reading material anytime soon. So it's nice that you can. Um, it's nice that you can, uh, you know, read a book on your own time, and then, based based off what the book you've read, decide what group that book would best be appropriate to. But to me, me personally, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't mind mind if, if we if we if we changed our format to to read the dummies because I'd, I'd wanted to. I'd wanted to check that book out anyway. But um, so that'd be that'd be kind of cool if we all could, if we all could, uh, you know, re read that book and discuss it next month. What book are we planning on thinking about reading? It's called The Demis, um, and it was written by Anne, you know, who just left us, <laughs> and it's on. It's available on Bookshare. Well, Evan, what do you say? What do you think? Should we? If I read The Demis, I'm going to have to, to then, do you have any idea what the playing time is in audio format? No, but... Um, I can look when I download it. I can I can see what it play what the playing time is because Voice Dream Reader will tell me. But it's going to be long. It's 445 pages, um, and they're not real short pages. But it's such easy reading. You if you I don't know if you can speed things up, but if you can, <laughs> um, you would un, you wouldn't lose the plot line <laughs> by going faster because it's not real complicated. But I can post the list. I can see, you know, what my voice dream reader says it is because it gives you a estimated reading time and uh, then, when you load it, and it tells you how far along you have, how far, and how far you have to go, just like your book sensor, your Victor Stream does when you're reading a, a talking book. And another thing, if everybody doesn't want to read it, we could still um, discuss the dimmies and also have individual sure. reviews so that nobody it's not feels an exclusive, forced. It's not an exclusive thing, right? I mean, it could be a combination of those who read it and those who read other things. I mean, it's, right, it's not an all or nothing. So go ahead. Anne is, you know, I think Anne would really appreciate some feedback because, you know, she's, there's no, she doesn't have a publicist. It's self-published and the word of mouth is one of the only ways that people are going to find out about it and read it. So, okay. And it's 440 pages, 450 pages, and and Bard's usually maybe are they 12, 12 to 16 hours tops, maybe eight. Yeah, I'd say about oh, oh, say about 12 to 14 hours, maybe 15 hours, something like that. I, I imagine um, we would be free to criticize it negatively if we found things about it we didn't like. Uh, I sure hope so. If it's done, you know, I I know sometimes we can get pretty hard on, on books, but 
Um, I'm sure she is not just interested in only flattery. Um, I think if we're nice and constructive about it, I don't think she will, you know, is going to, you know, be devastated if, you know, people have uh, critical things. Um, I found, you know, I wasn't supportive of it. You know, I found things that I would have suggested that she change, but we don't want to dump on her too much because one thing authors, once a book is out there, they really can't go back and change it. So it's kind of frustrating if if they're really bowed down with criticism that they can't really do much about. So, you know, I wouldn't lie, <laughs> but... On the other hand, we could accentuate the positive and find things in the book maybe that we can, you know, we can appreciate. Yeah. Right. As long as it's not, you know, universally, you know, positive or negative, you know, I think I think that she would recognize that as being more truthful than if it was, you know, all one or the other. So, um, I th it's after 10, so I think <laughs> I'm going to say that the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on Thursday, March the, what, let's see, today's February the 8th, so mm -hmm. it will be March the 8th, okay, February, uh, March the 8th, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and I will put on a news wire, and I'll list the books and make sure everything's spelled correctly. And uh, and uh, next month, those of us who wish to, we're are going to read the demis. And but those of us, those of us who are 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 parts or some of it or all of it, and those of us who want to read and talk about something else can certainly do that. Uh, we'll just have uh, you know a regular meeting, and we'll do both. <laughs> so our next meeting is on March eighth, and we will see you all then. And Great if, to see everybody again. Yes, this indeed. Yes, it was a bigger turnout than I thought because Mary and Leela um, Leela has trouble making it any time, and Mary couldn't make it tonight. So I was worried about the small and turnout. David's not here. Da yeah, right. So hopefully he will come next month too, because he and Anne are both now self-published authors with the same publisher. Okay, talk to you next month. <laughs>